Welcome to the NPS MedicineWise podcast, helping health professionals stay up to date with the latest news and evidence about medicines and medical tests. Hello, I'm Steve Morris, uh, CEO of NPS MedicineWise, and welcome to another uh, NPS MedicineWise podcast. Uh, in this episode of the podcast, we hope to provide an opportunity for prescribers and for other health professionals to understand more about an upcoming schedule change relating to nicotine vaping products. So with me today, I have two very knowledgeable guests to help us delve into this complex change uh, from the Health Products Regulation Group, including the TGA at the Australian Government Department of Health. We have Deputy Secretary Adjunct Professor John Skerritt. Hello, John. Oh, hello there. And Principal Legal and Policy Advisor Jenny Francis. Welcome, Jenny. Thanks very much, Steve. Yeah, so we're going to jump right into uh, the meat of, uh, I suppose, some of the questions people may have. So, so look, John, from the, the 1st of October, there'll be a new prescribing process for nicotine vaping products. Can you just provide a top-line overview of the changes and when these changes will be coming fully into effect? Thanks. Well, in a way, it's actually a clarification of the status quo. So nicotine uh, is already a prescription medicine when it's used for, for smoking cessation. There's a grey area where nicotine is used for, for better or worse uh, recreational non-smoking cessation uses. So we have a situation where the sale of nicotine is already illegal in every state or territory in Australia and possession, even if you've bought nicotine containing products, unless if you have a prescription, it's uh, currently illegal everywhere except in South Australia. So in reality, what uh, these changes do is clarify that uh, for all purposes, and, and smoking cessation is seen as the only valid purpose, you need to have a prescription. But it actually clarifies the existing legal situation rather than brings in sweeping changes. There, there is confusion, of course, about the legal status of nicotine. And of course, if an individual is, say, uh, purchasing uh, nicotine for vaping on Friday night and you get it by mail order from the US, currently our border force, because there are no Commonwealth laws relevant to it being a prescription medicine under all circumstances. Currently, our border and customs people can't intercept those uh, those shipments. And so the bottom line, it's clarifying a what's a grey area. It's, it's making it quite clear that for all purposes, nicotine is going to be a prescription medicine. But at the same time, we're simplifying and streamlining access to those who, in conjunction with their doctor, want to... Uh, give uh, the use of nicotine containing e-cigarettes a go to help someone wean off smoking cigarettes. Okay, thanks for that, John. I suppose just picking up on a few things you, you mentioned there. So, so what, why, why, what was the kind of forcing function for the regulation to be changed now, uh, given these issues have been in place? Well, there was significant concern about uh, increases in use of vaping by youth, because even though many websites and even if people are buying it illegally from vape stores and tobacconists, and it is illegal for Australian-based vape stores and tobacconists to sell nicotine products, but there's evidence that there was a lot of that going on, the uptake by youth was significantly increasing, uh, both in Australia and globally. So for people 15 to 24, there was a doubling between 2016 and 2019. In the US, uh, the word epidemic was used with a two-and-a-half-fold increase between 2017 and 2019, and similar results in Canada. And a number of studies have suggested that uh, while there will always be youth who are higher risk takers who you know, try alcohol, may try illicit drugs, and may try e-cigarettes, there are some who it creates a nicotine 
dependence and a potential gateway to smoking. And uh, there's a lot of work about nicotine, whether it's from cigarette smoking or from vaping, having long-term consequences for the developing brain. The brain continues to develop until you're in your mid-20s. And so people 16, 17, 18, or even younger, exposed to nicotine, uh, do have uh, significant impacts uh, on their brain development. So the first policy objective was to limit uh, access to youth uh, of, uh, of nicotine vaping products. The second policy objective was to make it quite clear that we wanted to support smoking cessation. Now, the evidence for vaping and smoking cessation is mixed. There are some studies that show a significant relationship between vaping and reducing smoking, while others are inconclusive. But what this does do is allow individual prescribers in conjunction with their patients who say, look, hey, I want to, I want to give up smoking, uh, to actually try this approach if they feel other approaches haven't worked. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Joe. And just again, just to kind of really tease this out so we're absolutely clear, um, which products are affected directly? So the product that's been focused on most are actually nicotine-containing vapes. And these days, they're both liquids that go into an e-cigarette, but increasingly there's integrated electronic devices that uh, can be disposable that might look more like a USB key, but they actually do the same thing. They heat a, a solution or a salt of nicotine more often uh, for vaping. The, the change does also influence things like heat not burn tobacco, chewing tobacco and snuff. So not smoking tobacco, but other forms of tobacco and snuff. But the greatest focus uh, of both people who use vaping products and also of uh, potential use in smoking cessation really are what we call nicotine vaping products. And I should emphasize it doesn't influence the range of current TJ registered smoking cessation products such as gums or sprays or patches. Just, just trying again further, just further tease out the difference between you know, the prescribing process for nicotine vape, vaping products and the prescribing pr uh, process for existing nicotine products. Other products. Okay, so most most existing nicotine products used, or all of the existing nicotine products, I should say, that are used for smoking cessation are actually available over the counter. Now, some of them started life as prescription products, uh, but. Uh, They've, uh, through the TGA downscheduling process, are now available in pharmacies and in some cases are even available in supermarkets because they've been shown, for example, uh, a gum or whatever has been shown to be safe and effective for, for general sale. There are some prescription medicines, uh, generally products that are also antidepressants like varenicline and bupropion, but some prescribers have used as prescription medicines to assist with smoking cessation. They remain prescription. But the other nicotine-containing smoking cessation products that are on the market already are not prescription only. They're either pharmacy or they're general sale. Okay. Yeah, thanks for that, that clarification. And look, obviously, given the changes you, you, you're describing, um, John, the clarification, the simplification, um, what do you think GPs need to do to prepare for this change when it comes into effect on the 1st of October? So uh, we're working very closely on communications and education programs. We're working with GP organisations like RACGP on prescribing guidelines. There are three ways by which a GP can prescribe this. And currently, and after the 1st of October, any Australian registered doctor can prescribe a product and then the person can personally import it with a prescription. But, the, but we're also working with the pharmacy supply chains so that smoking cessation, nicotine vaping products will be available from community pharmacies 
and also with Australian-based mail-order pharmacies. Uh, mail-order pharmacies are reasonably well-established. You send your prescription in, often via discount, especially for private non-PBS prescriptions, and, and you get your uh, script sent back to you. So those pathways will require the prescriber to either be an authorised prescriber or under a special access scheme. Now, the authorised prescriber system for nicotine is extremely simple. They get a five-year approval. Uh, there's just a couple of fields, uh, mainly name, APRA number, address of the practice, uh, and then a prescriber can prescribe for any number of patients for smoking cessation without having to come back to TGA for individual approvals. And all their medical receptionist has to do every six months is tell us how many patients they prescribe for. So it's a free of charge, very simple online process. And we're communicating that process both through face-to-face -face meetings, through online education, and also uh, web and other formats, working closely with uh, prescriber organisations. Well, thank you. For, thank you, Sean. And, and Jenny, is there anything else that you'd, you'd like to add in terms of um, what people should be aware of in this space at the moment? One thing uh, that doctors did ask for during both the consultation process for the scheduling decision as well as um, in their evidence before the Senate Committee on Tobacco Harm Reduction was some sort of uh, safety standard that it would apply to these unapproved nicotine vaping products. And so uh, recently the TGA published a consultation paper on uh, proposed content of such a product standard uh, and invited submissions. The uh, period for uh, consultation has now closed and uh, consideration is now being given to the contents, final contents of the proposed standard. Generally, those contents will deal with labelling and packaging, nicotine content limits and prohibiting the addition of other active ingredients and ingredients with known safety risks. It will take account of the very extensive feedback that was received both from uh, medical practitioner organisations as well as others and is anticipated to be made around about the middle of May or so, so at least uh, a period of four, a good four months before the decision uh, will take effect in one October. Okay, yeah, thanks for that, Jenny. Uh, just finally, John, is there anything else, you'd, any message you'd like to give to our audience uh, around these changes? So, as Jenny said, one of the things that uh, prescriber groups and even uh, groups involved in vaping have expressed uh, concerns about is uh, whether the products that they will have access to are of high quality. There are a range of uh, countries, both the uh, well-established uh, vaping product manufacturers in Europe, the UK, New Zealand, the US, but there's also concern about products coming from other countries and also substandard products. And so we have been consulting, as Jenny said, on a product standard. The challenge will be to provide a baseline for whether you know products, for example, don't contain substances that uh, are known to be harmful when inhaled, that uh, it's not a Trojan horse through to inhaling cannabis or other active pharmaceutical uh, substances. If, if it's nicotine vaping, that's, that's what the vaping should be about. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want to excessively limit uh, the choices out there in, in the marketplace. We, we realise that because a doctor's involved, they're the one who'll sit with a patient and say, well, okay, I realise you're telling me you find the pure nicotine unflavoured version harsh. Uh, we'll let you try it. We'll write a script for a menthol one but it's the doctor who will be the gatekeeper here. And so 
Some may say, well, look, unless if you have standards on every single requirement about flavouring and all that sort of stuff, kids will use them. The important thing here is that with appropriate education and communication and, and, and other materials, the, the GP is a gatekeeper. And I don't know too many GPs that would be writing a prescription for a 14-year-old for a nicotine vaping product. Uh, the focus here is on smoking cessation. And so these will be prescriptions tailored towards that purpose for adults. Yeah, that's that's really clear, John. Yeah, yeah thank you for that. And look, we are, we are planning another podcast episode on this topic to further delve into some of these scheduled changes and what they mean for clinical practice. Um, so our audience can keep an eye out for that episode in the near future. Um, but in the meantime, um, John, Jenny, where, where should our listeners look for more information at the moment if they want to know more? Uh, so we have uh, plenty of information on the TGA website. There is a nicotine e-cigarette uh, hub on which we've posted information for health professionals as well as for others, including consumers and uh, those who are going to be supplying them. And I think really that's where most of the information is that we're going to be producing. But over the next few months coming up in leading up to 1 October, there will also be other materials which will be available. For example, in the last few days or last week, the TGA has published a blog for consumers and uh, will continue to supplement those materials, including by distributing them through social media outlets. And there is other more targeted information for health pre professionals that will also become available, as well as the RACGP revising its guidelines insofar as they deal with nicotine vaping products. Yeah, thanks that, Jenny. That's really clear. Obviously, a fairly substantial amount of resources being produced to support this change. Um, look, thank you, John and Jenny, for your time today. Much appreciated. Thanks very much, no, Steve. Not a problem. Thank you. And look, thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Uh, if you'd like to have a look at some of the links and resources we discussed today, these can be found in the podcast notes. Uh, and as I mentioned in the recording, there will be another podcast episode on this topic. So if you have further questions or suggestions for what we should cover in this or other coming episodes, we'd love to hear from you. And you can get in touch by contacting MPS Medicine Wise. Uh, via Twitter or LinkedIn. So thank you for listening. Goodbye. For more information about the safe and wise use of medicines, visit the NPS MedicineWise website at nps.org.au.